Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek. Um, you can find everything about me at topsteptrading.com, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, how's it going? Marilyn Chakota, you can find everything on, on me at mcc.coach. Good to be here with you, Jesse. Afternoon for you, morning for me, early morning. We we're just saying, I got to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you joining me early. I know it's it's a little bit extra early, but yeah, time zones. Time zones are tricky. <laughs> right, it's all good. Um, I got my coffee, so we're good. All right. And what's new in your world? Yeah, you're all recovered from your series of races? Yeah, um, I finally feel recovered, which is good, man. That took a bit out of me. I, it was funny. The one thing that I have said out loud, which I didn't really think about when I was struggling to recover between the two was I raced harder than what I was fit enough for at that time trial. And that that sentence might not make sense to a lot of people, but you really think about that. So basically, you know, I dug pretty hard and went to the well to get after the the distance that I wanted and pushed myself really hard. And when you're really, really fit for something like that, of course, you still push yourself hard and, um, you know, you, you go to the well, all those things, but you your recovery is quicker. So you hear people all the time, they do Ironmans and they're like, oh, I, I didn't feel that bad afterwards. Or my recovery was really quick. And then there's the opposite, right? I went well and I raced hard and I was happy with my outcome of and the result of the race, but I wasn't truly actually fit enough to do what I did. <laughs> and so, um, and what I mean by that is like in the preparation, I only really did one super long time trial in my prep. The rest of them were all like three, four hour rides. I had just started, you know, targeting for that kind of race like I think it was eight weeks out. Um, although my base level of fitness was pretty good, but there was a lot of things that, you know, I, it, I wasn't quite as fit. Let's say that the gal that won, she'd just come off a pro road season and been racing all year and, you know, real high level of fitness. So it took a lot for me to recover from that. It really, it, you know, I, I was able to go that well, just because for whatever reason, you know, I'm stubborn and had just enough fitness and I'm competitive, but whew. It, it takes longer to recover from something when you go harder than what you're actually fit enough for. <laughs> uh, so, and then, you know, throw L tour in there and, and just put a knife in the, in the Turkey. And, and so, yeah, I, I finally feel like myself again. Nice. Yeah. Um, when I have efforts like that, I tend to refer to them as, you know, it's old man strength where like I can do it, but I am going to pay the price for doing that. Whereas, you know, maybe 15 years ago, I could do it and get away with it. But now it's like, yeah, I, I have the power of my legs to make this happen. But like, if you need me the next three days, you're not going to be able to find me and be hibernating somewhere. That's the thing, right? Like when you've been competing for a long time, for me, I don't really do that. And that's, this is actually a good transition to what our topic is going to be today. I don't really pull those kinds of efforts out in training anymore. Uh, I did when I was younger, you, I would, you know, really dig to the well in training a lot and being a lot older now, I, you know, I know when to play my poker card and I really hold whole, it's not that I hold back in training, but I kind of do, right? Like I, there is very, very rarely that people see me and you've ridden with me a lot and trained with me a lot. There's a, it's very rarely where all of a sudden I just like 
you know, I don't know if you want to, for lack of better terms, switch it on. And I'm like, all right, I'm going for it. Most of the time I sort of sit in the middle when I'm training. And so, but when I line up at a race and it's go time, then I remember, you know, I'm a competitor and I've been competing at a high level since I was nine years old. And so I will bury myself and give it really everything I've got. And sometimes that's in line with how fit I am or what my preparation was. And sometimes it's not. And it's like, and I, you know, and the older you get, the bigger, the bigger hole that leaves, but I'm able to, I'm able to do that. I'm able to, I know what it's like to just like switch it on and really dig deep. And so, so yeah, that can leave a dent when you're 46 years old, <laughs> for sure. But you know, that's a nice, um, that's something, that's what we're a little bit about what we're going to talk about today too. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that, you know, having athletes that are able to find that kind of extra gear in racing where they can outperform their training is one thing that, I mean, I know I try and do as a coach is try and say, Hey, like when you get to a race, I want you to perform above your level. And it's, you know, because of, you know, that the way they trained and then hopefully the tapers, they can be a little bit more fish, uh, <laughs> fresh and fit, kind of put those together and, um, <laughs> and, then, and then kind of exceed expectations. <laughs> but before um, we get into that, what's yeah, going on with you? How, what's going, how are you? What's, what's the latest and greatest over there in, in Euro? Uh, well, it's snowing today. It's snowing a lot. It's going to continue snowing all weekend which is, which is pretty fun. Um, I've been, you know, riding my mountain bike and took the kids on a great trail last weekend. We got lost and rode a little bit too far. And then we had to uh, time trial all the way back through town on the mountain bikes where I just had all five of them get in my wheel. And I was like, all right, just stay on. And we're going. <laughs> and we uh, awesome. time trialed across town on our mountain bikes, which is fun. Nice. And you're enjoying, you're enjoying the mountain bike. I know that's a new toy for you. So it's, it's going well and you're enjoying it, finding the benefits of it. We talked a little bit about that last episode. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been a lot of fun to yeah play around a little bit and, you know, work on a little bit, a little bit of handling, a little bit of skills and just go a little slower on the road because it's pretty cold out here right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I kind of like, had this expectation where I jump on and just be like, Oh, this is easy. Uh, there's still a learning curve and I'm still working on it, but, uh, <laughs> it is fun to, to take on a new challenge. That's awesome. Yeah. And Samson is absolutely loving the snow and the cold weather. So he is in his element right now. <laughs> right. He's a, big, he's, a, he's a big fluffy dog. So he likes that. He likes that cooler weather. I'm sure. I remember you saying the heat really kicks his butt. So that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he went swimming the other day in the river and it's like 30 degrees out. He's just happy to jump in and play around. Oh my God. He's going to die when he comes back to Tucson. <laughs> uh, yeah. He is not a desert dog. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I guess, you know, it's interesting because I've heard it referred to a lot uh, the one percenters, right? And, and what that actually means. And I think that's sort of, that's not a great way to describe it because it's, uh, it puts a label that is permanent on an athlete. And when we were offline, we were talking about how this is a skill that can be learned. And so I'll let you dive into one, what it is that I'm, what, what we wanted to talk about today. And, you know, I I'd like to, you know, just make mention of that, that I think that 
it's really common for people to call it, you know, on this topic, oh, you're the one percenter. And I've even said that before myself. And I and then I step back and think about that as a coach. And it's like, that's a real label that is permanent. And what we wanted to dive in today is like, let's think about this now and and have the skill set to change it. So yeah, you definitely don't want to view it as a fixed mindset, right? This is definitely a, a learned skill. But I guess what we're talking about is is being able to uh, have a really good like race performance and have that be on par with your training or hopefully in some cases maybe exceeding your training um, versus those times when you show up at a race and you know you're fit and you know your fitness is really high, but your race performance doesn't actually align with like the numbers you're hitting in training. So, you know, we were talking beforehand about how how to help athletes that are kind of missing that mark where, hey, they can hit the numbers in training and they show up on race day and it doesn't exactly align. And how can we uh, help them kind of make those things align more or even go the other direction? And I guess one of our conversations off air was like, is the timing right for this podcast now? And we decided that, yes, it is. This is a really good time to talk about race performance. And everyone might be like, well, why? Like race execution is something we think about, you know, one week or two weeks before our race. But I think that that's something we should start to think about now. Like, do we need to change our training? Do we need to change our mental approach to our training? And we need to start implementing those things when we start training at the beginning of the year or whenever your season's going to start so that you've like practiced this and that's, you're kind of just changing the way you actually prepare for the race in order to have a really good race execution, not something you just say, hey, I've done the training. Now it's time for me to like lie on the couch and try and visualize once or twice before I go to the race course. Like you might need to actually change your approach to how you train or change your mental approach to how you train to have these tools in place to actually be able to race at the next level. So like now is the time to make those changes. So hopefully throughout this podcast, we can give some some good advice to, to people that may fall in various camps and and how they can kind of increase the tools in their toolbox to, to have race performances. And yeah, this came out of some of the post-race analysis I've been doing with some of my athletes or post-season analysis, like, hey, what worked well, what didn't, and then kind of why, and then, you know, what can, what can I change or what can we do differently to, to have better results next year? So that's kind of th- that conversation I'm having with, with a lot of my athletes right now, and this, some of the things that have come out of that. So, so yeah, hopefully we can help some people kind of structure their, their, how they train or how they approach their season better in order to actually have better race execution. Yeah, you gave, um, I mean, we talked about, there's a few different ways that we're going to, we can dive into this. You know, the, the one example I'll give is, you know, the, the athlete that trains with, let's say faster athletes, and we'll use a a really clear example. Let's say you're an amateur athlete who's a high level amateur athlete and you train with professionals all the time and maybe not every single session toe for toe, but quite a few of them. And they race, they, they train toe for toe with them. And in fact, a lot of times you'll even see them outperform the, the person who's racing full time as a professional in training. And then when it comes to the actual race, maybe they're an hour to an hour and a half behind, you know, the pro goes between eight hours, eight and a half, and, and the amateur goes, you know, let's say nine and a half hours or something like that. And they wonder where the disconnect is and they beat themselves up going, you know, I train with that person every single day. Why, why am I so much slower than them on, on the race course? And so, you know, you're going to have some really great insight, insight on that, Jesse, because you do race professionally 
And you have good amateurs that have raced with you over the years where that is actually the case. And it might even, it might even flip-flop it a little bit in that, you know, you have some training partners that you train with all of the time. And then on the race course, the actual time difference is not that drastic, obviously, but the, there's a difference on the race course. And maybe in training, there's some things that where you're with them every single day and, and maybe something that you've noticed why they might be faster on a race course versus when you're in training, those kinds of things. Um, and I'm not saying that those two things are the same at all. And that's exactly, they are very different in what, in the whys on both of those. So it'd be good to, you know, for people to, to understand that and, and have a look at that from, from the inside shoes. And then the other thing was, is that you gave a really great example of a specific athlete that was on, you know, you found it actually in their data where you're like, where's this little disconnect here on their performance? And it was that in, in the execution of their training. So I'd love to hear about uh, from you. I'd like to really hear about those two things. Um, yeah, let's start with the, the first scenario there where, um, you know, especially when I'm in Tucson, a little less now, but, you know, I train with Ben a lot and we'd have these these moments where I could do the run sessions with him and it's fine. And then, you know, he runs 20 minutes faster than me in a race. And, but it's also very clear where the disconnect is because we'd be running along and I'd try and like put words together in a sentence and they wouldn't make sense because I was like, so, so sugar bonked. I couldn't even like speak straight. Whereas Ben would be running next to me, just like, stop trying to talk. You're making this worse. Like <laughs> just, just run behind me for a while like do a gel or something, you're done. Um, and, you know, we, we could look at our heart rates after and be like, yeah, my heart rate was 20 beats higher for that effort. So it was like a very different effort for me than it was for someone like him when we're running like that next to each other. And, and so, you know, I'd have to use that really sparingly in my training. It was definitely a good stimulus, but the stimulus I was getting was very different than the stimulus he was getting in the exact same workout. So, you know, it wasn't like, oh, just because I can do that, it's not it's not going to correlate to race day. Like, yes, I'm getting a fitness bump, but it's it's very different. And and so I think you have to have a really good handle on exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. And also understanding that, like, yeah, just doing that same thing in training isn't, isn't going to correlate um, because I see the amount of <laughs> the amount of extra effort I was putting in just to be able to be there was much higher. And, I, and I've been on both sides of that coin. and it is just like you have to understand that as an athlete, like if you're coaching yourself and you're training people that are maybe a little faster or a little slower than you, that can be fine at times. But just understanding like what the actual benefit you're getting out of the session is, and it might not be the same. And and then being able to know like when to do that and when it's like, hey, I need to do this workout like 20 seconds a mile slower and kind of stick to my numbers so it's more applicable to how I race. So yeah, kind of it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a tough balancing act. And, you know, I used to always say like, Oh, I could only train with like, you know, the faster guys, like 80% of the time max, because I, otherwise that would just be too much. And so, yeah, you can find that, that, that way to just kind of know when you need to pull back. Yeah. You know, I, when I was, um, I experienced that when I was racing full time, I trained mostly my training partners were male triathletes who were at the top, top of the race as well. And so obviously being a female, they're, they were much faster than me. I didn't, you know, we went, I didn't swim and run with them, but on the bikes, I rode with them all the time. And it would be, I ran into a little situation. That's really common. People like to ride with people who are a lot faster than them. And, you know, it, it, it was 
beneficial and that I was sitting on a fast wheel and I learned to ride fast. I learned to really push myself, all of those things. But actually where I ran into some trouble was I got so used to moving fast on a wheel that then when it became specific to time trialing on my own, I actually pooped out pretty fast. And I didn't realize that until until I hit a couple of races where the disconnect was so big on not only my bike what from what I was doing on training, but on my run and how much the bike took out of me was, and it was like, man, you do a lot of riding. You do a lot of really fast, hard riding. Why is there such a difference? And you're riding with these, you know, male professionals who are so fast. What I was like, what is happening here? And then it, we, we actually figured it out. It's like, oh, you're not doing enough work where you're just time trialing on your own, creating your own speed, pushing your own wind and, and time trialing on your own. And I had to change that and, and do a number of specific sessions where I just time trialed completely on my own, not on a wheel at my own effort, dialing that in because it actually ended up being a different a different effort altogether. Someone to say, well, you're riding so much harder on their wheels. Wouldn't that make it so that when you're not on their wheels, it's easier actually ended up being kind of the opposite. So, cause I got so efficient and, and I would push really hard just to be on a wheel for only moments, but that steady pressure on the pedals, pushing my own wind ended up being something that was undertrained. And it took so much out of me that I ended up riding a little bit slower and run and it really affected my run. So I had to correct that in my training to, to reverse things. And that was a really important lesson for me at, at a certain point in my, in my professional career. So, and you have, you have a bit of an example like that as well. Yeah. I was just going to say that it, it is like also people who do a lot of group rides where it's like, Hey, I ride my bike really fast all the time. So I can go do an Ironman. And yeah, there, there is a pretty big, um, it's a, it's a different skill set, right? It's like pushing on, pushing on the pedals by yourself for a long time without any brakes is much different than accelerating. And then like, you know, coasting from an accelerating again, and it's, you know, time trialing long distances is pretty hard. So it's definitely something you need to practice. And yeah, so I had an athlete who we were kind of going over the race and looking at their, their power file. And, you know, the, the question was, is like, did I overbike? And I was like, no, you didn't overbike. The power was great. But when we dove into the data a little bit more, what we saw was that there was the, the power was very spiky. It was almost like that group ride. It was like the, the variability index was pretty high. So there's a lot of punches and that kind of brought the normalized power up a little bit. Um, and then there wasn't as much of, of that kind of steady riding in there. And we looked at what that did to them and, and like all those kind of those spikes over threshold where all of a sudden they're just, you know, burning a ton of sugar and, and doing that for a while and then easing back off and then doing it again. And, and that kind of repeated punch in power time and time again, totally zapped their legs. And I think like zapped a lot of their energy stores. So that by the time they got to the run, they were like, no go. So I think, um, you know, technically they did not overbike, but how they executed the bike was, you know, caused them to have that same effect as overbiking. Um, so, and it's, so because, yeah, and, and it's mostly and so, because they, they weren't doing that in training, right? So it's like the issue was is that they raced like that, but they weren't actually training like that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, there was some some like overpower things in training, but yeah, mostly, you know, we were getting ready for an Ironman. So the power was pretty steady and working on, you know, some indoor rides where you're like, Hey, just kind of 
you know, put your head down and do work for a long amount of time and, and get ready for, for Ironman. And then, and then, yeah, the race execution was a little bit different than that. And, and, and so, yeah, we talked about like the, the, the two approaches we could take right now, which is like, we need to change things. Either we change your mental approach that when you go to the race course, you're going to execute a much more smooth ride, or we can say, Hey, if this is how you ride and like you're an aggressive rider and that's just like not going to change, then we need to make sure you are really well prepared to absorb all those spikes in power. And, you know, it can be some combination of the two of those, but like that, that's something that we need to change in training and like mental approach to training before the season starts that can be ingrained in the training program or ingrained in how the training is executed going into the season. And this is actually a similar problem that I, struggled slash still struggle with is that to ride as fast as I want to ride, I have to overbike. And so basically I go to every race and I like consciously am overbiking, but it's like kind of what I need to do. And so I but I have like kind of changed my training to have that ingrained in where I can spend more time closer to the threshold because I know I'm gonna to have to when the race comes around. And maybe that means my run suffers a little bit, but I think time wise it's still a net positive. So yeah, kind of the same equation where you're like, hey, like how can we work this out so that the you know the mental preparation, physical preparation are going to align with race execution? Yeah, super important. And you know, I think it's those little things that you might not even realize that you know you're doing in your race. Like you said, it was the the athlete themselves just went, hey, what happened here? I didn't, you know, if I just looked at in how the race went, did I, I was well within my numbers most of the time. It's like, well, wait a minute. If you're always just steady pressure on the pedals and a straight line when you're at home or steady pressure on the pedals, working very specific to your event, which is what you want to do. And, 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 you know, training that for an Ironman on the trainer and, and you're like, oh, I've checked all the boxes. I'm doing everything right. And then what happened, right? That big, what happened? It's like, oh, well, actually there was 25 turns in this race. And every time you got out of the turn, you really, you know, you step, you, you, you know, push the power way up over threshold and you did that 25 times throughout. Well, now that's where the problem is. And so, you know, it's good it's good to address those things. And that's why debriefing the year is so important. We talked about that, in, you know, in the, in the last episode is like looking at those details and then practicing it. Now, is it a matter of, Hey, do we just, now we're aware of that and we actually make sure that we don't do that in a race or is it, Hey, that was necessary. Like you say, so differentiating between, was it like in your case to be part of the men's pro race, it's necessary to do that, to be, put yourself in a position to be in the race. So now stepping back, you know, you've got the winter to train that and you got to change your training altogether. So there's two things. It's like, is this an issue that I just need to actually change my race execution now that I'm aware of it? to get the most out of myself, that might be one answer for some athletes. And then the answer for other athletes is actually, no, this is actually what I need to do to be, put myself in a position to race well, or it's, it actually directly applies to the course that I'm going to be on. And so we need to train that. And that's like, we talked a little bit about that with the Nice course, right? People who are going to be heading to Nice and there's a lot out there. It's, you have to be really specific to if the course dynamic is different, 
then we need to be ready to climb at threshold or just sub threshold for a really long time. And then you're going to be descending for a long time where your skill set needs to be up. And, you know, you're going to be able, you're going to need to eat and drink when you're doing technical descents, that kind of stuff, which is very different than a, another Ironman. So, um, you know, it, it is good to have this conversation as you're debriefing the year and looking forward to what's my training going to look like and what are the little changes I, I need to make. I want to I want to step back and actually look at that example of let's say the amateurs that have train that train with faster athletes as much as an amateur training with a pro and they're there every day and then there's this big disconnect on the race course and they and they get hard on themselves about it. and it doesn't even need to be extreme as amateur professional we use that extreme example because it's easy to visualize but just in general you see it all the time with training partners right like hey i we train together every day we do this at the same pace and then when we go to race it's a completely different story and so you know i think let's you touched on it a little bit with the run example for yourself between you and Ben but i want to hear on even a on a deeper level your thoughts on that um yeah it's it's a it's a tricky one right because you want people to be able to have training partners but you also want them to get the right thing out of it and i think you know usually what happens is that the slower athlete kind of quote unquote steps up to keep up with the faster athlete and that changes you know, their training from, um, you know, I hate throwing labels out there, but let's call it like they're trying to do like zone two training or however, just aerobic base work. And then all of a sudden they're bumping up to zone three and they're like getting close to the threshold and they're spending their time there as opposed to zone two. And, and so they can do it. They can accomplish the workouts. But then when you look at, you know, let's say they do this every Sunday on their long run, uh, so really what they're doing is they're building up a whole lot of fatigue and the benefit could even be like less for how they're, how big their aerobic base is when they get to that race. So that even, you know, in any sort of longer distance triathlon, whether it's middle distance or, or long distance after doing that, by the time you get to the race course, number one, you're probably going to be tired because you're training, you're racing and training or you're training too hard. So you're, you're going to be able to have more fatigue going into the race than anticipated. And then also your your aerobic base isn't going to be there so that when you get to, you know, hour four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, if it's an Ironman, like you, you're not going to have that aerobic capacity that you need to actually finish strong. So like if you're doing that and getting ready for Olympic distance, maybe it'll pan out. But if you're getting ready for anything longer, you're, yeah, you're going to um, kind of fall off a cliff at some point. Yeah. And I think from the mental side of things, I used myself as an example and how I've changed over the years when I was newer and younger, you know, I felt the need to, and I see it all the time with newer athletes really push to the well on every single workout, you know, or every single effort that you did. And from that experience, what I learned over the years is it's, it's more about training as training, right? It's like studying for an exam. You're stacking together an accumulation of a lot of work to best prepare you and put you at the fittest you can possibly be by the time you get to an event. And that's when you're supposed to shine. And it takes a long time for people to learn that lesson and mature to that place where they understand that and say, I don't need to, I've seen people take it so extreme where they actually rest into sessions all the time so that they can PR or they can get a Strava or something like that. And then what happens is they don't have this accumulation of really good work towards their event and then have that mental 
switch to say, all right, now's the day to perform. I'm fresh. I'm really fit. I've got a huge well of fitness. I've done lots of sessions. I talked about a little bit at the beginning in the middle. So like, say it doesn't need you, you need to PR every time or hit your max numbers every time you just need to be in the right you know, energy system or working the right session, like you say, whether it's aerobic or threshold or anaerobic, whatever, if it's specific for your event, you don't need to hit your lifetime best every time, but you just need to do an accumulation of a lot of work and whatever your specific zone is for you and your race and see a steady improvement. And there is a lot of fatigue with that. You're going to be tired when you're training. And sometimes you're going to be on the low end range of things, or you're not going to feel that great. And that's part of training. Mentally, that can be tough on people they don't have a lot of experience. They think that they're not improving. And so they get caught up in their own head and they feel the need to see these PRs or push really hard or exceed their numbers all of the time. And they don't, they don't realize that, Hey, by doing that, you're actually, by the time you get to the race course, you haven't, you haven't accumulated, let's say if we're talking about a visual here, accumulated enough in that bucket so that it's really, really full and then you just go ahead and you know rest and have that mental switch to say now's the time I'm going to I'm going to go for it now's the time I'm going to dig to the well i also feel like if you've been racing a long time you have been at this a long time say you understand all of that there's only so many times that you can dig to the well mentally before you're not going to quite have it when it matters and so there is a little bit of that as well so for me I choose really wisely how often I put that kind of energy out there because, you know, I've been racing. I mean, I've been competing since I was nine years old and I've been racing since 99. So the amount of times that I can actually dig to the point where I'm like bury myself, I, I, I feel like there needs to be something special on the line to do that, you know? And so mentally, knowing that and it, and it confuses your training partners sometimes because they're like wow you're never really there when you're on on the training rides or you're just sort of always you know kind of in the group or you're falling off the back or whatever and it's like well yeah because I have an accumulation of fatigue and I'm just training or maybe it's not the time mentally to dig that hard today and I only I'm saving that for when it really counts when there's something on the line you know whether it's a result that's important to me or you know placement or or whatever you know that's understanding that to that to that level and getting to that it, it can take athletes a long time to understand that and some never do I kind of rambled um, for a yeah and I think <laughs> I got on no, no, I got that's on good. Um, one one thing you started talking about a little bit there is like you know, people, their confidence gets a little bit shaky. And so, you know, maybe they rest for the next session so they can get their confidence back up. And I see confidence as far as like how it plays out in race execution to be a big problem as well. And, and whether it's you have too much confidence on race day, so you think, hey, today is the day I can ride at 400 watts for an Ironman bike split. Or, you know, today is the day that, you know, I can, I, I have superhero strength. Or the reverse, where you show up at the race and maybe like, you know, especially when people have like had to have a decent taper, they show up and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm so out of shape now and I'm I'm not going to perform well. And then that can really affect, you know, how they actually execute the race and, and whether it's, you know, just having low confidence and, and not going hard or, or getting in, I've seen this the opposite too, where you have low confidence, so you get on the bike and you're like, hey, I'm going to bank some time because I don't have faith in my ability for the back half of the race or something, which of course has 
massively negative effects. Yeah, you know, there's no banking time in an Ironman, right? So, so yeah, you know, you can having the wrong amount of confidence going into your race can drastically affect how that um, how that race unfolds. So I think now is also a good time to talk about that, like with your athletes, because you can kind of say, hey, like what gives you confidence and what do we need to do like to make you feel ready to race? And some of the training that you do as you're getting ready might just be for the athlete to have confidence. And, or maybe it's a way of like writing it down, like, Hey, like, you know, you need to be able to, you know, do X, like say you need to accumulate four hours of riding over the course of a long ride at your Ironman effort. And if you do that, you'll feel good. So like, say you have a ride like that, then say, Oh, let's write that down and say, okay, you did this. Like you journal that, or you start in your training peaks or something where it's like, Hey, you need to do, you know, 10 by a hundred in the pool on whatever on one twenty five And, and so, you know, you have like whatever it is, test sets or something like that, where you can say, Hey, like, here's some things that you can kind of cultivate confidence throughout the year and show up at the race and have that right amount of confidence where you can execute to your ability. You can execute appropriately, but you don't need to say, Hey, I'm going to do something crazy today because I feel really good or vice versa. Like I need to panic because I, uh, you know, I'm not ready. So I need to do something crazy in another direction. But yeah, thinking about how you can actually build your confidence throughout the year, whether it's with, with benchmarks or anything else like that. And then you can show up on the race day. You can have something to look at or have a conversation with your coach and say, these are the pieces that are in place. This is, you know, that you've stacked up that you can help you execute at this level say so, yeah you can kind of have that really good mental approach that is aligned with your physical ability and you can deliver um the yeah the performance that you're actually prepared to do you know i had a yeah that's i, I had a really cool conversation many years ago with a fellow people might not remember him today but he was pretty legendary chris mccormick you know, he was, if you look that name up, some of you have been around a while, know the name. Uh, some of you who haven't will be like, who's that? But look up Chris McCormick, pretty legendary athlete. Are <laughs> we really that time. old? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you'd be surprised. People don't even remember like, you know, who Chrissy Wellington was or whatever. People, you know, they just get into the sport. So know your, know your history. Look up Chris McCormick. He was a really good athlete, won a lot of big races, uh, pretty legendary. Anyways, I was uh, friends with him through my career and we were sitting one time having dinner and he talked about when he races so that and where I'm pulling from this is that piece of conversation of that you said you're not going to be all of a sudden 20% better race day than you were on in training right you have to stay connected to where and, and the confidence piece so there's the underconfident ones that ruin the race by being underconfident and then there's the ones that are overconfident and they think, you know, I'm going to be, you know, 20, 50% better ever than on race day. So his example was that when he was racing, he won a lot of big races and he ran, he, he was, he was just fast all around, but he could pull out some pretty fast runs. And he had so much confidence that he would, before a race, he knew what the course record was on a, on a course. He knew all of his competitors and what they generally ran over the last, let's say six months or a year or where they were at in terms of what they typically did. And then he knew what he did and he knew what he was capable of. And he, when he would start the run of the marathon, if someone, let's say the course record was 243 at the time, you know, on this, on this run course, and he was going out at 241 pace and he saw someone take off at 230 pace. 
Well, he just had the confidence and the math to know this person is not like he wouldn't chase after them thinking I got to run 230 pace to beat this guy. Right. He knew he was like, this guy's not going to hold this pace. He's going to explode at some point and I'm just going to stick to my plan and I'll end up in first place. So that was like a really great example of under having the confidence that you talk about. And really understanding, he knew where he not he knew he knew what his competitors could do. He knew what the course record was and what was typical on that course over the history of it. He knew what he could do, and he wouldn't get caught up in oh my god, I've got to run two thirty to beat this guy and blow himself up and ruin his own race. He would say, no one's ever run faster than two forty three on this course. I'm running two forty one pace. This guy's going on a suicide mission. I'm just going to stay right here. And he would end up winning the race. And so, you know, those that's like, I like telling stories like that because it is confidence building to know. And I've, I've certainly done that on the bike, knowing, you know, on a, and even in a bike race, you see someone take off and you look at what's going, the wind out the front and the course and, you know, what you've got left in the race. And, you know, you're like, that's not going to stick. That person's going to blow up at some point, not only fall back into the group, but probably be blown off the group. So there's no point in chasing that. So those types of things, you know, are specific to the race day, but big on as you go through your winter and you debrief things and you look back on your races and say, where did I make mistakes? Where can I do better? And where is my confidence lie? And if you're looking at specific events, maybe even digging as deep as someone like that does. Now he was a very good professional and he was a tactician when he was a professional as well. So he was probably one of the best in the world at planning that kind of stuff out and being a tactician as far as knowing how to specifically win a race. So that's why I like to use him as an example there. Um, but that could be something that anyone could do. They could look at, I always say, well, okay, if you want to qualify for worlds and you know, the course, we've picked the race that you're going to do it take some time through the winter here, dig through the history. It's not just like what happened at the last one, what happened in the last five years, what's happening with those, you know, on that course, typically over the last five years, what do you typically do? What do we need to work towards? And getting really specific like that can also help confidence on, on what you need to do in training and then also how to execute the training and then what you need to do to ex when you show up on race day. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a great example. And it, it kind of brings me to one of my last points here is that like, you know, so if you know exactly what you're shooting for, like Chris did, or like you're talking about the person trying to qualify, then you can have like these, these process goals you can put into place. You're not showing up there being like, I've got to beat everyone because I want to qualify and just go on this suicide mission of like, I'm chasing everything. I need to get to the front of the race. I mean, especially now, like the stagger starts when you probably have no idea exactly where you are, but you have a concrete goal where you're like, Hey, I know that if I can, you know, hold this power, swim this pace, run this pace, I'm going to put myself in a good position, um, according to historical data to, to, uh, yeah, to get my opponent slot or whatever it is. So you can have process goals in place throughout the day, as far as what, what you need to be working on. And then you can also have those process goals in training that you can set at the beginning of the year where it's like, Hey, you know, this is where I'd like to be. And this is how I'm going to get there. And then this is how I'm going to execute my race. Instead of just being like, ah, oh, well, um, my outcome goal is I'm going to try and go to Kona. So I'm going to try and get there in the first 20 minutes of the bike. And I'm just going to just go for it, get to the front of the race. And like, now I'm here, so I'm good. Um, but yeah, you can have that really, like that really pragmatic, like racers approach that, you know, he, he was really good at. And, um, and yeah, it does. It takes a lot of confidence to sit there and say, hey, like, I know it's going to win this race and it's not what that guy is doing. And yeah, to, to stick to your guns and, and hold on to that. But that is, I, 
oftentimes the kind of confidence you need to execute your race plan and, you know, get the best result that you can do. Yeah, totally. And it is, you know, it's like not getting confused. You, you look at your training. You, I talked a little bit about at the beginning, how I outraced what I did in training at the time trial. You know, I had, I did do that 140 mile ride. I did it with two other training partners who were significantly faster. I did it mostly sitting on their wheel. You know, I obviously did a little bit of work on the front, but let's say 80% of it was there's two pretty fast males sitting on their wheel. And so, but I understood, yeah, I need a good six hour day in my time trial bars moving fast, but I understood I didn't do that and think, oh, I'm going to ride 140 miles at the time trial. You know, I, I have enough experience. And I think we, that's a key word experience. As you gain experience, you can have the confidence to know like, okay, I know what that's going to equal. So although that was important in training and like I say, and, and where you might think, well, where was the, where was the piece that you felt like you were, I knew enough in my mind where I felt like I was maybe underdone for what I pulled out of myself. I wasn't able to get out there and do, I probably needed two or three five hour rides on my own time trialing as well. In addition to that day that I did with the two um, faster riders. And then I would have had a little bit more in the tank as far as could I have gotten one more lap out of myself in that time trial to get 138 and break the record? Would I have it not taken so much out of me? Like missing those two sessions uh, of the five hour by myself, you know, I understood that and understood where that put me when I stood on the start line and I went, okay, what am I going to be capable of today? I knew I'd done a lot of hard group rides, a lot of four hour rides. I'd done some, you know, I knew all the pieces that I had done and I knew what I missed as well. And so with enough experience, I had the confidence to know exactly what I could and couldn't do and how to troubleshoot things as they came up in the race. So it is, it, it's, it's a confidence thing. It's an experience thing. And it's not getting confused about, it's that piece. Like as you work through the winter, what does this training actually equal to when it comes to a race performance? and knowing when, how those two match up with one another and how to approach that. So that's a skill that can be practiced and learned all year and improved upon through the winter. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I have a lot of things to say that I don't want to stretch this out too long, but I did want to ask, did you really miss those two solo five hour rides or is that a pretty, pretty sound choice you made to not do that? <laughs> because I, I did. <laughs> yeah, I was, I would, they were on my schedule and I wanted to do them. One of the them I actually headed out Ajo and I double flatted <laughs> and so I had to catch an Uber home and I was like ugh and I was just I just I didn't go back out <laughs> I double flatted got home didn't have any tubes to, enough tubes to replace I was like no nope. and I just ended up not doing it so bad athlete that that day and then there was another time I was uh, a weekend I had planned to do the park links ride just on my own solo and time and be in my TT bars solo that day not hard not time traveling but just riding five hours by myself with steady pressure on the pedals and I honestly I can't remember why I didn't do it I just didn't it just didn't happen <laughs> and so <laughs> there was so I had planned for two five hour rides just in my TT bars on my own plus that six hour one with the guys and those two didn't happen. And so I knew that, you know, I knew I was like, well, those two pieces of the puzzle are missing, but I knew, you know, there was enough of the other training. I'd be just fine. That's something I had to take into account for sure. And, and yeah, you talk about the experience piece. And I feel like the one thing, if people don't have experience, that's where having, 
you know, a coach comes in, right. Where you can say, Hey, like that's a conversation you can have and you can kind of, hopefully uh, you can skip a few steps in levels of experience where, you know, maybe like if you and I kind of went through the trenches for a lot of years, hopefully we can help people accelerate that process. They don't need to make quite as many of those mistakes all over again. Um, Oh, you dude, it's a conversation I have with people all the time. Like, Hey, don't, you know, hold your poke, your last, your best poker card close to your chest until race day. Like I use all kinds of examples that will make sense to someone so that they don't burn that match, you know, before the race and, and that they, that, and then, you know, we have real clear conversations about this stuff and, and learning it and, and every, you know, it does, it comes from our, it's like a lifetime of experience, right? You got, for me, what am I bumping on like 24 since 99. So it's going to be 2024, 24, 25 years of experience. You hope you can save some people from some of the mistakes you've made say like, Hey, just have some confidence here. Trust me on this, you know, and, and um, yeah, hopefully can, can prevent people from the same mistakes that you've made over the years and learn from the successes that you've had and say like, Hey, trust me on this, this works. You just gotta, you gotta, you know, put some trust here and know that I've been here like 10 times before and you've never been here. So you know, lean on that a little bit. <laughs> um, awesome. I know there's, you know, I had six other bullet points in my notes and directions we could take this, um, but, you know, I know you need to get your second cup of coffee and uh, <laughs> you got to, okay. you got to so, pick up Frankie yeah, I think from we'll, school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to pick up Frankie from school. So we got to cut things off here, but I really appreciate the conversation. And, and yeah, if anyone has any questions about like, setting up their season or anything like that, you can always reach out to us and, you know, we can do our best to send you in the right direction. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation, Jesse. I think a really important one to have is people debrief three years. So, you know, in this reflection time, if these are disconnects that you experienced the last year, this is the time to have a listen to this, think through what you did this last year. How did your training and your racing match up to one another and, and find where those holes are. That's the fun part, right? It's a, it's a puzzle all the time, find where those holes are and figure out whether it was, you know, where you can do, do things in your training differently to set yourself up for a little bit better next year. So super cool conversation to have right now. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. And then you can think about them as opportunities, right? Like free speed. You can find opportunities to go faster next year. So it's, it's only a good thing at this point in the season, right? Finding yeah. ways to go faster. Exactly. All right. Um, thanks, Jesse. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers.